Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On today's episode, my guest is Dr. Brian Russell, the author of Centering Prayer. Brian is a return guest to the show and someone with a great deal of wisdom to share. I'm grateful that he agreed to come back on. He's a professor of biblical studies and a transformational coach for pastors and spiritually minded professionals. In the conversation, Brian and I discuss how to define forgiveness, why the practice of forgiveness is so challenging, what's possible in the way of forgiveness, how a stillness practice can help us, the connection between wisdom and forgiveness, and much more. I really enjoyed the conversation and hope you do as well. Please welcome the wise and gracious Dr. Brian Russell. Brian, welcome back to In Search of Wisdom. I appreciate you taking the time again. Oh, it's so great to see you and always enjoy speaking with you, Josh. So thank you. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. I'm really grateful that you agreed to come back on. For the listeners, as a reminder, you know, last time we connected, we chatted about your book, Centering Prayer, and we didn't get to probably one of my favorite chapters in the book, uh, Free to Forgive. It's a, a beautiful chapter, and I'm I'm looking forward to, you know, in, in your terms, as we were talking about, take a deep dive into the topic of forgiveness. No, I think forgiveness is so is so important, and as, as we were just talking off camera, I think it's um, under-discussed today, so this is going to be fun. So to kick it off, if, if you could, how do you maybe define or think about forgiveness in daily life, Brian? Yeah, that's and that's a uh, obviously that's a big question. At some level, forgiveness is just a, a, a religious word. We hear about it in church all the time. And if you've ever said the Lord's Prayer, it's you know, forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin or trespass against us. At, at, at some level, um, forgiveness at its core, if you go back to even like say the the Hebrew, um, uh, the Old Testament in, in Hebrew, the word forgiveness actually means sort of carry away or take away. So it's it's actually a um, it's a metaphor about removing something, and uh, obviously it's it's removing some kind of an offense at another person. So it's uh, uh, forgiveness is a, it's rela- it's always going to be relational. Um, it, it is a forgiveness assumes there's been some kind of wrong, um, and forgiveness um, has to do with the person who's been injured extending um, the act of forgiveness towards the offender. And, and I think another thing that we should probably say right up front that I think there's a difference between forgiveness and, say, reconciliation, because that forgiveness can be a one-way action um, a reconciliation is going to involve both parties, and it's not always possible. So I don't, I don't know if that was enough specificity to get things started, or you want to follow up on on that? No, I think it is. I think that's a, a great intro. And whenever, at least on in many of these podcast conversations, when something comes up, this difficult, important practice of forgiveness, my first thought I tend to think of, 
you know, what stands in the way? Why is this so challenging for us to, to do? Yeah. Well, well, I think it's a lot of things. I mean, when you've been hurt or injured in some way, we all have that, um, sense of we've been uh, violated at some level. There's been an act of injustice. Um, We want to get revenge on the other person if we can. You have all these really human reactions. And at some level, uh, the act of forgiveness runs contrary to our typical desire to just sort of protect ourselves and make it about us because forgiveness Again, it has to do. It's a. It's it has to do with community. So it's this tension between me as a solitary individual who has a right to make it through the world, and how do I live in a group? And so I, th- I think that's. I think that's part of the the uh, of the deep rooted piece is that uh, it runs at some level contrary to our nature, especially when we start talking about extending forgiveness to, say, strangers. Sometimes it's easier to forgive people that you know really well, but it's when you start talking about forgiveness of strangers or or, or obviously evil people that have done something to you, that's when it gets a little bit more challenging for us. Hmm. You mentioned that word tension, which, which seems to come up as a similar thing that makes many different things challenging is this tension or different poles sometimes we can think that forgiveness means that there isn't justice or any sort of accountability but shouldn't those two things be able to exist at the same time yeah that and and that's the critical piece because some people think to forgive someone is to let someone off the hook or to just go soft pretend like it never happened and I think that's really important um because again you know if you know if somebody accidentally you know you've accidentally had like a fender bender that literally was it just happened I mean it's easy to like you know a person can say I'm sorry I'm like yeah I forgive you for that but when you start talking about really difficult issues like um you know, we can just go to the worst things like a, a war crime, um, uh, some kind of um, you know sexual assault, those uh, armed robbery. These things get super super difficult, um, and it's not, or even like say infidelity or something like that in a relationship. Um, forgiveness doesn't mean that. Um, you're giving the other person or party a pass for what they did or even whitewashing it. Um, part of actual uh, forgiveness is just releasing the our desire for retribution, our desire um, – um, uh, it's actually re- releasing ourselves from the act of, of retaliation. If there's going to be like reconciliation work, there's going to have to be legit talk about justice. But the forgiveness part is just releasing the poison the, uh, that at some level, when you've become a victim of something, you feel terrible on the inside. And your act, the for- act of forgiveness if, 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 is a gift to the other person, but it's actually a gift to yourself because it puts you in a position where you can be free then to do the work of justice because you're not just working out of a position of um, personal betrayal, personal hurt, all, and, and, and it's not just about you. It opens you up to the possibility of, of, of community again. Yeah, I like this visual that, that you write about in the, in the chapter in your book of, of these 
past hurts maybe being like anchors or these things that, yeah, yeah. that weigh us down. But you mentioned an example there, maybe infidelity. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to stay in some sort of particular relationship or anything like that. But um, I'm curious, as you mentioned, you know, pain and, and past hurts, this practice of forgiveness as being a way to actually feel and process that emotional pain that may be there. I, I think some people think maybe of forgiveness as as being that very last stage where, you know, the forgiveness, but it's a, probably a long process with working through things that need to be worked through for your own, you know, um, well-being, I guess. How do you think about that? No, I, I love that. Everything you just said. One of my mentors um, when I was in, um, in seminary, this goes back. I had this class in 1992, so this had been over 30 years ago. It was in the spring of 92, but I, I got this privilege of studying with um, a professor named David Siemens, and it was his last uh, semester of teaching. Um, and he, he did a whole piece in our pastoral care class on forgiveness, and I thought it was some of the clearest teaching I ever had. And he, he basically always and I think and I think this holds up. At some level, forgiveness is an act of the will that we make that just releases the other person. And then it's not so much our feelings yet, because as you said, that's a process. And so in a sense, um, the, the act of forgiveness can just be a momentary, I'm going to forgive you. Let's just say I'm forgiving you, Josh. I'm going to forgive you, and then I'm going to trust that over time, my actual feelings are going to catch up with that act of forgiveness. Because the idea is I got to make, I just have to make a release. Because as you said, it's about time. Forgiveness, without forgiveness, what are we? We're stuck in the past, right? We all know, we, probably all of us have things that you can just in a moment's notice, just start playing an old tape in your head and get just get angry all over again. Forgiveness is to, be, to kind of make a break where you can free yourself from the past. Again, not forgetting, not whitewashing, not sugarcoating, but you're just making a decision that the past isn't going to bind me and I'm going to open myself up to potential of a different future. And again, depending on what you're forgiving, there may be no actual future relationship with the person that's done it, but you've cut yourself off from that hurt of the past. And then the idea then I think is in my, in my book on centering prayer, I'm, I'm what I'm really thinking about, like my own um, was just, I realized how angry I was after my, the whole divorce piece that I had gone through. And, and when I was sitting in silence, I would just have all these old tapes playing in my head. And what that realized is like, you know what, if I'm going to move forward I have to forgive and I'm going to trust that God is going to clean up my inner world and and turn down the volume on my anger. Mm. Um and and so that so that that's to me is what the power of forgiveness is. There's all those quotes about, you know, you think you're forgiving someone else or forgiveness is like holding on to um to poison. <laughs> you like giving yourself the poison yourself and you realize that forgiveness is just taking the poison out of yourself basically so that you're not af affected by the by the act um, um, and it's it's a gift that you give someone else and then forgiveness 
if we think of it from like the Lord's Prayer, it's not that God it's not that God can't forgive us if we have an unforgiving heart. It's that um, we can block the work that God wants to do if we hold on to our bitterness about the past. So it's because it's pretty strong. For, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then Jesus repeats that after the, and if you keep reading the, the Matthew 6 passage, he says it again. It's not in the prayer that we say in the church, but he goes right back to it all over again. Let me ask to get specific, and maybe this is a good spot to talk about centering prayer in, in more detail, or any sort of contemplative type of practice. How does that work take place? If, if we think of, of forgiveness, I think I've seen some sort of psychological type of definition of letting go of deeply held negative feelings. How does that work of, of stillness provide some sort of lubricant or, or help and assist of, of letting go of some of these deeply held negative feelings. Yeah. And it, uh, for me, and I've, I've just seen the, the more I sit in silence, the more I tend to see myself not as the hero that I like to think that I am. Um, and you know, how does that get to the issue of forgiveness? It's like I noticed early on that I was just angry, and that was because I was playing tapes in my head of the things that had happened to me. Um, and obviously, I had to take action on that. And I was like, realize I got to start forgiving people consciously. That's what God was doing. And so the, the silence, it's just when you sit in silence, um, and I'm not talking like for a minute. I mean, it, it, you're going to have to sit in silence for 15, 20 minutes at a time, and it's got to be a long game. This doesn't necessarily happen the first week you do it or the first month. I, you know, there's no timetable for these things. But um, you just get confronted with what's really going on in your head that you're not always aware of it. Um, mm. And so you, I think you uh, immediately lose the sense that you're not you're not even close to being as good as you thought you were because you can see the own anger and then over time now it's it's really interesting um i slowly god has shown me a lot of my own flaws and and then here's the beautiful thing and this is where it makes i think it work reverses to how to forgive other people and you realize or at least i did and it, is, it just seems kind of funny to say it is, um, you, you know, you, all these thoughts that are actually embarrassing are going through your head, all, just anger and stuff. And you're like, wow, I'm supposed to be sitting in the presence of a God who loves me and all I am is really, you know, ticked off. And I could use an even stronger word than ticked off, which I won't, but I mean, I'm just really mad. And then you're like, wait a second, God knows what's in my head. I don't sense any anger from God or even any judgment about these thoughts. All God wants me to do is give them to him. Um, and so if I can release the most, the, the deepest parts of hurt in my own life to God when they come up, that makes it a little easier then to extend massive amounts of grace and forgiveness to others because at some point it clicks in. It's like, 
I'm not some unique unicorn. If I have all of this inner complexity myself and I'm both a saint and a sinner and everything in between, you know, you know, like let's just pretend like we're having a conflict, I have to extend that to you too, Josh. <laughs> You're yeah. the same way. You're not as bad as you were on your worst moment, nor as you were good as you are on your best moment. We're just this mixed bag. And so I think that that inner life piece sitting in silence, you see your own struggles, you receive God's love anyway, and that puts you in a position to I think be a lot more generous to other people who are Essentially, you know, we're all flesh and blood. We have the same DNA and we're wired more or less the same. And so we can, I think, have more compassion for others as we learn to have real compassion for ourselves. That That's well said. It reminds me of something I've thought about before of how easy it is to forgive a young child. If anyone listening can think of you know, a seven or eight year old that maybe says something or does something, we, without much effort, can make these generous assumptions and realize that maybe their emotional regulation is not as developed as it could be, and so on and so on. But, you know, is that eight year old that much different? than the 28-year-old or the 48-year-old or, you know, the it just goes on. The, the room for that generous assumption that we're all a mixed bag of virtue and vice, saint, sinner, whatever you want to label it is, is there. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, and one of my, another mentor's name was um, Bob Tuttle. He's 81 now, but he's been, um, he's one of these people that, I would say everything he ever said to me was 100% true. I just wasn't smart enough to take the advice early enough, you know, one of the, but just a really saintly wise man. But he always said in his classes, um, and, and he said this to me in the office before, he goes, pray that God allows you to see other people as though they were your own children, again, mm-hmm. with the assumption that you love your own children, of course. And, you know, that's what I just heard you saying. And, and I know there's another, there's a book I just uh, read uh, recently. It's called Positive Intelligence, and um, it's about building self-awareness. It's like a coaching book, but he actually talks about um, to have empathy for another person. Start with yourself. Get a picture of yourself when you're like a kid, like five year old. So I like I have this little picture of myself when I was in kindergarten from 1974. I call it Little Bry, and the whole idea is you would never be mean. I would never be mean to that little kid, but that little kid's still inside of me, so I shouldn't be so judgmental on myself. And then the power move is when you're in conflict with somebody else, think of that other person as. Uh, that five, six, seven, eight-year-old version of themselves, and then like you would never like just like what you said, you'd never be mean to a kid. And again, that kid person can grow up to be Vladimir Putin or Adolf Hitler. I mean, whatever. But there's still that kid in there, and that gives you yeah. that shared humanity. That perhaps then you can forgive the, at least that part of that person, which is a start. Yeah, yeah, and it's like that desire to me. I. I often think of uh, desire, attachment, clinging, you know, something happens in life that is opposite of, of what we want, and it rocks our boat a little bit or ruffles our feathers. The same thing, you know, for that young child, there, there, you know, there's something that happens, there may be a more visible 
reaction in that small child when something doesn't go their way. But it, it doesn't mean some of that is still not going on in each of us when, you know, we're, we're dealing with this desire thing and, and navigating through life. But I want to come back to, to something that we, we talked about in the beginning of, of some of the obstacles. And you talked about a false self and you write a bit about that in the, in the chapter could you unpack that a bit for someone that's maybe not familiar with the false self and and the challenges? Yeah, and and and, and this is uh, this is like language from like psychotherapy, but I think it's it's actually it's helpful in the sense that we like to use the, the, the there's like three terms there's false self, true self, and shadow, and they can all get mixed. And it's kind of rooted off of like Jungian um, psychology, and it's been developed in some ways. But basically. Um, the true self would be the person – again, I'm going to use theological language. It's the person that God created us to be. It's, 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 it's living out of that space of a person 100% loved by God. Now, if that's how every person is born, essentially innocent, um, um, what happens to us – and you named it – everybody has experiences. And so in a sense, we all construct a false self – um, and the idea of the false self, it's, it's who we had to become to feel safe and make our way through the world. And, you know, and so the false self isn't necessarily a bad self. It can manifest itself in vices and stuff, but it's basically the suppressed self. So, um, you know, like, um, you know, like I just say for 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 my own for myself for for a, a variety of reasons which we don't necessarily have time to go into. I say some of it in, in the book, but it's like I grew up, um, and the way that I experienced my life when I was in middle school and even in early in high school is I just got clear messages that I wasn't good enough the way that I was, and so that essentially. I navigated into basically just a high achiever, super work hard person because I felt like to be loved, I had to do stuff. Instead of just being myself, I had to prove that I was worthy of love. That's my false self coming out. And then part of that, you, know, you can get a shadow version, which is all the stuff that you had to suppress can kind of squirt out around in, in a shadow part of yourself, which can either be can be good or bad, but it's the parts of the self that you lost to become an adult that can function in the world. And, and then part of the spiritual journey or the personal development journey is to understand what you lost moving from childhood into adulthood and try to rekindle that. And, you know, and I would say open ourselves up to God's grace so that we get back to not being a human doing, we get back to being a human being. I mean, does, does that, does that uh, answer the question a little bit there, Josh? Absolutely. And it seems like it comes up quite a bit when it comes to forgiveness. At least it connects with yes. something I yeah. think that Richard Rohr has said is, uh, you know, whenever we're offended, we're coming from the, the false self. There, yeah. There's something. Yeah. And I, I think of true self, maybe it connects with in Buddhism, the Buddha nature or something, this, you know, our, our inner good, when someone yeah. does us wrong, when someone interacts with us and maybe treats us in a, in a negative way, 
we could lean towards the, the first response could be compassion and empathy. Hey, it, it seems like you're having a, a bit of a rough day. Is every everything okay? That could be an appropriate, wise response, maybe, but a challenging thing to do. No, I mean, that's for sure. I mean, you're approaching sanehood if you can actually really, depending how bad the thing is, to be able to respond with real empathy and, um, and, and compassion, you know, and that's even, you know, even Jesus, like, turn the other cheek. I mean, who does that, right? I mean, uh, uh, or just extend, like you said, compassion um, for the person. But that, that is, it's the, um, a lot of times the things that hurt us Again, we want to say, I mean, people can do legit evil things that are objectively evil, that yeah. are wrong, that are going to victimize a person. But so, sometimes the things that actually offend us uh, say more about our the false self that we've constructed than necessarily the other person's intentions, right? And so that's where this whole spiritual personal development thing comes in. It's to build up enough self-awareness to see where our offense isn't the other person triggering some deep part of ourselves that we actually don't like, <laughs> but we haven't named it yet. Or if in fact it really is, yeah, this person is objectively doing something that's, that's evil towards me. Yeah. It's interesting. And I love, uh, I, I swear I've, I've thought about it a number of times, but it, do you call it the unholy Trinity, this fear, guilt, and shame? Yeah. You know, yeah, is it, yeah. is that something you're thinking about? Like, is this, you know, my own fear, guilt, and shame showing up. How do you discern, you know, what what's what there? Yeah, that's just such a huge question. Um, yeah. I, I assume, well, to me, a lot of our shame comes from things that people have done to us. I mean, you can commit a sin and then, you know, you should have some shame for that, but you can be forgiven. But a lot of the shame that we carry has been from the cruelty of other people um, or even sometimes we get ashamed. It isn't even intentional cruelty. Like you could grow up and maybe you're sensitive. I mean, I was a pretty sensitive kid. I, I mean, I cried more than I probably should have, but I know, you know, don't be a crybaby, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's not like my parents hated me, but I think I heard that. Um, um, and, yeah. uh, you know, and then you're like, oh, I can't cry. Right. And so now crying becomes a shame thing. And so, I carry that. And so in that, that tells me you're not good enough at some level. I mean, so, um, yeah, so I am talking about the unholy Trinity, um, as that's from, from our side, but let me stop here and let me, I don't think I tracked with the question. Am I even going down the direction that, that you, that you asked no, about? I apologize. No, I think so. It's, uh, like I say, it's a, it's a big question of, um, yeah. you know, when someone, maybe when we are offended, by something yeah. to determine whether that is even something that is in, intentional. Is it a, you know, is this like, you, you kind of said it even before that, is this more to do with me than, you know, this particular person? And if, if we come back to maybe that false self, it's, you know, you could tie it, tie it in there. You know, how am I showing up to today? In this moment. No, 
And, and I will say the fear, guilt, shame, that is part of the construction of the false self. If you just take it as there isn't enough, that's fear. I'm afraid that the, the world isn't abundant and, and I'm, and I'm going to lack something. If guilt and with that, I often mean false guilt. That's the idea that um, I don't do enough. Um, and that's a false guilt. And then shame, I'm just not good enough. I mean, that does all that stuff sits inside of our of our souls. And that does hinder us at some level in the ability to forgive ourselves as a precursor for actually then being able to love other people. Cause that's the ultimate goal. It's not just, you know, we want to talk about forgiveness. The goal of, of forgiveness is to ultimately facilitate love as a precondition. And if you want to be in a loving relationship with other people, um, we have to forgive. I mean, it's just uh, we have to forgive endlessly. I think Mother Teresa has a favorite quote about, um, you know, we have to forgive endlessly. And that's part of even keeping a family together. So that involves us being able to have compassion on ourselves for our own fear, our own guilt, our own shame. But then if you can have some self-compassion, it gets back to even this child metaphor, can you then see that the other person is worthy then not of self-compassion, but of compassion, which then could then open you up to then extending forgiveness to another person because they're just as worthy of that as, as we are. Right. Um, you know, like I always think, um, you know, we like to always think of ourselves as, you know, good guys and, and the other can be the bad guy, but I've always thought, um, and one of my, a book that shaped me a lot was uh, the Gulag Archipelago by um, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and he, one of the quotes that I love the most from that is, um, you know, because obviously he was wrong, he was wronged. He's in the Gulag, and it's easy to think, well, the communists are just all evil and stuff, and I'm just a victim. But then he has that that that, that quote. I put it up on his social media frequently, but it's something like, um, "If only it were easy, if we could just eliminate the evil people." But the uh, um, the line between good and evil cuts right through the heart of every man and who's willing to cut out a part of his, their own heart, right? And so this whole self-awareness, spiritual depth, you see that it isn't just good people, bad people. It, that's in all of us. And um, forgiveness is rooted in our ability to actually see that. And if we can expect others to forgive us, we have to be able to extend that same thing to another. I love that. It's uh, Tolstoy talks about how we shouldn't label anyone anything. Where it's a bit of a river, you know. It's it's some of this, it's wow. some of that. You know, we can only hope to be, you know, a bit more virtuous than than vice. Um, but I I want to share this uh, example. You know, as you mentioned, and we've talked about that this is difficult. But it is very possible, and I, I think there are many, many, many people that are really leading with compassion, love, and, and empathy, especially when it comes to these, you know, in, in hindsight often, these little minute relationship arguments and things like that and challenges. But there's a, a documentary on Netflix, The Story of God by Morgan Freeman. I think it was like a 10 or or 12 episode thing. And one of those episodes was on forgiveness or, or mercy. And the condensed version of the story essentially is there's a, a father who forgives this young man who 
brutally murdered his son. And it was, his son was a pizza delivery driver. Two individuals, you know, ordered a, a pizza with the intent of basically doing, doing harm. And in the courtroom, while on the stand, you know, the father tells this young man, he's like, I, I don't blame you. I'm not angry with you at all. I feel so sad for you that you have to be in this situation. And it it goes on and the father ends up, once he comes back to his seat, he ends up passing a note to this young man, a letter that he wrote him. And he, he holds his hand and these two individuals embrace in this long hug with one another. And he, he whispers in his ear, he says, I have forgiven you. You have a brand new chapter in life. Make yourself change and become a full person. And there's not a dry eye in the, in the courtroom. I, I can't watch it without just breaking down. It's the most beautiful thing. And the, the judge even has to, to leave because the judge is just in tears as well. And the YouTube version of it gives a, a little um, extended version of it. But the, it looks like the parents of this young man come up and also join in this hug. So you have this, you know, group of, of five or six individuals just coming together, hugging one another. Um, and it, it's just an amazing thing. I think it's, it's easy for us to forget what is possible. Like as human beings, that is what is possible. And Morgan Freeman asked him, uh, you know, how did you do this? How did you forgive, you know, the person who murdered your son? And the, and the father responded, it didn't come easy. You know, it was difficult. And it, it just instantly connects with, from scripture, this idea of the narrow gate, the difficult path. Yes, forgiveness is the difficult path, but that's a sign that that that's the the way that that is i mean that's what can you say that is so powerful and that's why what a what an illustration of why forgiveness matters and 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 what it is and you know and what's that father's alternative right his um his son is is unfortunately dead um completely unjust and so he can live with that the rest of his life and just be angry um, or you know, he gives the ultimate gift to this person. Who know? I don't know what the court sentence was for this this young man, but just giving that young man a future and showing the whole world that you know the goal is um, to me. You know, it's love. Forgiveness opens up the possibility of experiencing God's love, and that would start with that father who forgave, because that angry bitterness just blocks out mm. unforgiveness. To me, it's like you got to. We have we have a. Our, our inner world is a warehouse and we have to be, and we only have so much space. And if you fill your whole inner life with all the stuff that you've been wronged, and again, there's no judgment because people, it's hard to let go of stuff, but that ends up just yeah. clogging things up, extending that forgiveness um, 
creates new futures because it opens up the warehouse, you know, and I firmly believe, um, Josh and everybody's listening, that uh, you open up the inner warehouse, you know, you're not dishonoring. He's not, he, a man didn't dishonor his son. He um, he opened himself up to abundance, and, I'm, and who knows what came next for that guy's life because he opened up space, and his life was would get bigger from that. And, and, and in fact, we don't know what happened to this kid that was forgiven, but – yeah. That man gave him a gift. Again, did he deserve it? You, it, it, you know, deserved it. I mean, to do with it. He opened up the future for this kid, perhaps to actually. Again, I don't know what happened to him, but uh, to experience love and have a transformed life and become, maybe make valuable contributions and whatever for the rest of his life. Even though again, he killed this person, so it's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, it's it's um it's a weird thing of of love. I don't know. I, I've heard this thing. It's like, do you have to love everyone or do we go through with life and, and pick and choose, you know, who we love, who we don't. I think there's some sort of parable. It, it might be from Anthony DeMello of, um, you know, like a, like a lamp, the a lamp doesn't withhold its light. Um, and he, it concludes with basically that a shade tree doesn't with, withhold its shade for the good, the bad, this and that. And he says, even for the person that chops the tree down, it's still providing. But I, I don't know. That's a tough thing to to wrap around. But I, I think it's something that maybe we all need to, to meditate on and think think about it. Yeah, and, and that's the you know, and I think it's important when we say love. I mean, that's another one of those words that I think is easy to misinterpret. It doesn't mean, yeah. I mean, I can love another person by trying to see that person as God sees them, that they have worth. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to feel warm on the inside yeah. towards someone who's always mean to me, right? And so I think we need to remember that love is more about it's a decision and it's a set of actions. And I think that's why, um, that's why that's why all the religious texts. I mean, we could talk about any religion, but you know, I'm I'm, I'm most familiar with the New Testament. You, just, you know, Jesus talks about um, he's. Um, um, you know, what what good is if if you love only people that love you? Don't the, and you like don't the tax collectors do that? And then you know, and then it, Jesus specifically says this is in Matthew five. Um, God sends rain on the just and the unjust, and so you know, you say, um, you know, love your neighbor, you know, hate your enemies. I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's the it's it's just the ultimate countercultural aspect. And, and and as as human beings, I mean, we live in tough times. It's easy we see lack of forgiveness anyway, but you know, but where's it going to end? Yet we all can see it. It's like we have these divisions. You begin to close off divisions by extending. A little grace to the other side. Again, it doesn't. It it doesn't mean you're minimizing pain or where a person might be wrong from your perspective. But I mean, the the opposite is you just come entrenched, and then the opposite of love is going to be hate, right? And that's what you're going to cultivate. Yeah. And so, if we want to have a world that's not filled with hate, we have to almost do the superhuman act <laughs> of forgive. 
right? And then it's yeah. even then even more difficult is working for reconciliation. But you know, I, I have that quote in my book that I've I've always liked um, by Lewis Smedes. He was a Christian psychologist. I think he's still alive. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. That's the that's the <laughs> irony under all these things. If, yeah. if we want to become part of the solution in our world, we have to first set ourselves free, which ironically is um, extending forgiveness to the other, whoever the other is. Hmm. You know, I've, I've often thought, um, uh, uh, you know, like we went through the one of my most favorite part about the Christian story when I think about Jesus is Jesus on the cross saying, um, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, to me, I, if, even if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, I would want to be a Christian just because I would love to be a man enough to be crucified. I mean, I don't want to be crucified, but, <laughs> but literally to be in that position and look at the very people that did it to you and forgive them and ask God to forgive them. And I think um, this may be one of those too soon things, and I mean no judgment, but like we have this war over in Ukraine. Um, they had that early scene. I think there's even been a stamp. It's the Russians were going to blow up an island or something, and they wanted these guys to surrender. And you know, and it's it's the ultimate act of defiance. It's like f you, Russian warship. We're not surrendering. And I'm and I you know, and it's my my flesh thinks, oh, that's so tough. I'd like to be tough like that. But then I thought, and I was thinking Jesus. And again, I'm not making any judgment on those soldiers because I'd probably have done exactly what they did. But wouldn't have been just as powerful to say we're not surrendering do what you got to do and we forgive you. <laughs> yeah. Um again no yeah. no judgment. I'm not putting any judgment on a person but that that's why that's why forgiveness is so powerful because it's um it's it's so countercultural. Yeah. And I find it fascinating of how many of of these people that we look back at at history in the category of of wise that say the same thing. Like the words of this father could have easily been Socrates, Jesus, yeah. Thomas Aquinas, who have all, and same thing, Marcus Aurelius opens book two of, of this same thing of, you know, doing wrong, doing evil is simply a, a lack of wisdom. You know, this idea of when people know better they do better for me that's just an important perspective to because how do you work through some of these things without you know how do you get to compassion empathy letting go of these deeply held negative feelings if your worldview or your perspective on you know human nature maybe goes counter to that. It just seems like it'd be difficult to get there. That's so good. And, you know, and I love this. You like Marcus Aurelius is a great example. And again, I don't, uh, I, I didn't come here with the, with the history, but he has that, he put, he puts it into practice, right? Cause there was a massive rebellion against his rule while he was emperor and, you know, the Romans typically just killed everybody, <laughs> and yeah. they actually forgave the very person that led it and the legion that was in open rebellion and gave them a future. You know, then you could go modern. Nelson Mandela and uh, Desmond Tutu, they did that remarkable forgiveness as long as people told the truth, right? I mean, that's – everybody else wants vengeance, but, yeah, you can have vengeance, 
or you can create an abundant future for everybody, but that's kind of the choice, right? And so forgiveness just becomes that um, forgiveness is a lubrication of, of society. It starts with families, right? We have to forgive within our family. We got to forgive within our, our, our kin groups and then forgive the stranger and then ultimately do the hardest work, forgive people that we might call an enemy. Yeah. But maybe we could transition to something that is maybe uh, depends on the individual, but it's probably important to talk about this differentiator between forgiving ourselves, our own mistakes, as compared to forgiving others. And maybe we've spent a, a bit of time talking about forgiving others, but how does one... What's more challenging of the two? You know, is are there differences that come to mind between forgiving ourselves and others? Yeah, you know, that's a really great question. I'm going to say it's I don't know if I can say for sure if there's a universal way to say that one is harder than the other. It kind of depends. Like I would say for myself, I've always been harder on myself than I am other people. So I would say in my spiritual journey getting to the point where um, I can say with Paul, I'm the chief of all sinners, um, is, uh, has been a powerful, that was a powerful moment for me when I'm like, you know what? I just flat out need God's grace, which ironically, that's what the gospel says anyway. But, uh, sometimes we just like to think, um, we can extend grace to other people, but sometimes we can't extend it to ourselves. So I'm, I'm just going to say, Everybody might be a little bit different, but I know for me, it's been harder to forgive myself. But I would, again, I would say the sitting in silence has helped with both. It showed me how much God has forgiven me because I recognized what was going on on the inside of me, but it also spurred me then to recognize that I needed literally to forgive others. And you see the same thing in like 12-step recovery groups were part of the whole process of... um, of coming to grips with like even addictive behaviors is some level making a, a you know, doing a, a, a deep dive of the wrongs that you've committed. And then, you know, and then you yourself trying to make amends or asking for forgiveness. But part of that's going to be forgiving yourself for those things too. But that's the challenge, right? When we can learn to forgive ourselves, it's love your neighbor as yourself. So maybe if you can't forgive yourself, it it is harder ultimately to forgive somebody else. But I need to think about that. What do, what do you think? How would you answer that question? I would definitely give one of those annoying answers of it depends. <laughs> but I would yeah I yeah, would yeah, also yeah put I would also put myself in the category of uh, of someone that can be overly critical of themselves. So yeah yeah for for me looking back and thinking about it, I, I think it's easier for me to forgive others than it is myself and sometimes with myself you know how there's this idea of forgiveness and and i've experienced this as well where you know you're working through this forgiveness and you've maybe you're about 90 percent there but there's still a little bit of (laughs) residual stuff you want to hold on to um when it comes to myself it seems like that little residue in completely forgiving myself is a a real challenging thing. But I want to ask from it and tie this in if I could. This same question to contemplative stillness practice and 
I don't know how to say it, but some sort of coming to the realization that you're not your thoughts. Creating yeah, a bit yeah. of distance between your thought stream that is coming in. Um, because sometimes those thoughts, if you're attached to, to this thought stream that is coming in, you're you're essentially you know, you're right in the crosshairs of some of these negative, this negative inner voice and inner critic. I find that to be the most important thing sometimes when it comes to just this stillness thing of how do you learn to let some of those thoughts, you know, just pass by. And that seems to be what it's all about. No, it's so good. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we were talking about that book awareness by Anthony DeMello um, before we got on. And at some level, the contemplative practices pull us into the present because you're, you're exactly right. The, um, the tapes that's play in our mind is we're essentially stuck in the past. And what's ironic about that is, um, it's hard to even say for sure if you even have completely 100% accurate memories of what took place in terms of just the facts. And we're just spinning these negative interpretations, you know, and, and that's where I think, um, Along with contemplation, you know, what I, I use affirmations. I think that's one of the most powerful ways to deal with guilt and shame is to just is to decide what thoughts you'd prefer to be thinking when you run into a negative thought. This is like um, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy in a way, but I mean, you know, like some people would say Bible verses over themselves on certain pieces or 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 any quotations. And I know you, I love one of the things I've always loved about your work is you get quotations from so many different sources, but you can use quotations to counteract negative thoughts. And I like to write affirmations. And I know one that's helped me around the forgiveness is I literally every day say, my past is forgiven in Christ, my future secure in Christ, so I can walk and breathe and move in the abundance of this new day in the present, basically. And so I just remind myself of that. So, yeah, the contemplative life makes you aware of sometimes the unconscious negative tapes that are going on in your head. And like, as you said, you get this weird experience of, wow, I can see myself thinking these thoughts but I'm actually observing it. So who's really thinking of it? And then, and that's a way then to kind of push them aside. Or what I would really say is just it's surrender. That's the way to surrender the thoughts. To me, you'd want to surrender them to God. But I mean, there's other ways to talk about that. How does that connect? You know, I, I looked up a little bit of research on on forgiveness. For I don't for the last couple of years, I've just really been fascinated with forgiveness. And um, and there's these. Uh, steps. There's an International Forgiveness Institute, and they identify the first steps as uncovering your anger. You know, yeah. really feeling it. Maybe yeah. that's if we think about infidelity. You know, there's there's anger, there's sadness, there's just probably this mix of emotion that needs to be processed and and felt. But then if we tie that back to as you were just talking about this stillness and centering prayer, if you're completely attached to this thought stream that's coming in, it probably makes it really even difficult to process that anger because then that's another thought loop, another playlist where it's maybe not about yourself 
but it's a playlist of anger in in something else so it seems like the stillness practice and in, in the work that it does comes into play with so many different aspects of life but definitely specifically forgiveness no ab- absolutely because because what it does is it, it gives you space because again you can kind of see your insides i mean maybe see or you can say here or you can feel whatever kind of word you want to use you can feel your thoughts, see your thoughts, hear your thoughts, um, and wow! It's, it, it, yeah, I love how you how how you articulated um, that. And and what it gives you is it gives you the ability to say something like like Isn't that interesting? How angry I am about this particular thought. And as soon as you say that, it makes it like a third another person, right? And then you can ask yourself, and then I'm going to sound like a therapist, but I mean, this is a good therapy question. It's like, what does that part of you that's so hurt need right now, right? And, and these are all, and then so you now you're moving into what I would almost call, you wouldn't say autopsy without blame, though that's not bad language. You want to get into the space where you can have some real empathy for what you're feeling and then you are kind of doing an autopsy. You're getting super curious, like what's really going on here? What really happened? What? Uh, why? You know? Why do I feel this way? What is that feeling really like? And then you can just begin to ask, what would it look like to let this feeling go? And that's mm. where, again, the forgiveness doesn't always deal with the feelings right away, but but that's what you're trying to get at. So at the the contemplative practice. By the way, you can use centering prayer. You can do journaling. Now, by the way, this a good therapist is going to be like this for you as well, right? They're going to help you pull out and look at things. So there's different ways of getting at exactly what we're talking about right now. But it's to get some space. And when you see a space, you can then change what something means. And that's, I think, where the healing goes. It doesn't justify anything, but it it no longer just becomes this weight, this spot that's taking up space in our interior life that gets triggered every time you drive by us, you know, a certain place or you hear a word or whatever, which is what many of us struggle with today. It's like we have this suppressed anger and hurt in the contemplation or its equivalent lets us then really, again, release these things Um break down those inner strongholds that come from our deepest pain um, and allow us to surrender them and begin to be more present and then open ourselves up to a better future, which again, that forgiveness is the means. It's at least it's the cracking the door to a different future than you would have if you held on to it. That is beautifully put. It, it makes me think, um, you know, you raised all these questions of, you know, the poet Rilke of living with these questions and maybe not rushing through it. I was thinking you asked the question, you know, what do I need right now? Maybe part of that is time, you know, time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a, a quick process with, with some things. Maybe if you're getting cut off by somebody on the highway, maybe there's not a a long time that's needed, but probably some sort of similar. Maybe we can practice these things and go through some sort of process that works for us on the small things, you know, and the and the big things. But the the second part of, of this model that they have is deciding 
to forgive. You know, it's this ultimate, it's a choice. You can choose to or not choose to. And maybe coming to that question takes time. And whether it takes months or a year, but maybe it's something that we probably don't want to put off for a decade, you know, in something that we want to carry around for the rest of our lives. No, I think I think that's right. And that, that's good wisdom. And, and it's one of those places where, you know, you read a text like, forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us. That sounds like it's supposed to be super easy. But there are things that are so profoundly painful that it's almost cruel. Oh, you got to forgive them right now. Um, so, yeah, I think time is so important. And, uh, um, yeah, trust the process. And you can't put a time on the forgiveness piece. And, again, I want to again say again, because uh, uh, forgiveness, you could even decide to forgive then you almost put yourself in the position like the person that where Jesus is talking to the Father and he says, just believe. And the guy goes, I believe, Lord, help me with my unbelief, right? You can say, I want to forgive, but I can't. You know, in a sense, by even saying I want to, you've kind of made the choice. And then what you're essentially waiting for is with God's timing to come around with the feelings. And it can take time, right? I mean, even, you know, like if you have a... Let's just use an example, a tart example, but like of a, a situation of with infidelity. I mean, a spouse can forgive the other one, but that doesn't mean everything instantly returns back to normal. There's still going to be curiosity, wanting to know what really happened. Um, and so in a sense, I think we just have to recognize there's no time frame for the full restoration of feelings. And it's just a constant letting go. And, you know, I have a love that you used earlier. It could be that 10% nagging piece or 20%. Just got to recognize that. Um, is there such thing as um, you know? It's, it's not math, right? It's a, did I hundred percent forgive somebody? Did I forgive this person wholeheartedly? Who's to say, right? But I would even say a one percent openness to forgiveness is better than a zero percent, right? And we just let it, let it go with time. So I think that, I think that's a good word for everybody because again. I'm not going to stand in judgment of anybody for holding something, holding on to some really painful thing because I totally get it. But I do know that there's a beauty and a release if we can get to the point where you can let go of even the most painful things. But again, I'll be the first person to say that's not easy work. It takes God's grace. Yeah. Yeah, it it seems there is – I've – definitely thought about wisdom and forgiveness. There's – yeah. It almost requires wisdom to practice forgiveness and I I tend to think about this this idea of uh, as in scripture it talks about not to harden our hearts but as a way to soften our hearts. You just mentioned that that 1% being open and and doing the work to to soften our hearts uh you know for the world. Well, I'm, I'm so appreciative yeah, of it, your time, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Th- well, thanks. Let me let me just say one thing about the heart thing that might be helpful Please. if you got because um, it's that hard heart thing is um, tricky. I mean, one of my specialties in biblical studies is the book of Exodus. And that's where you do have the hard heart with Pharaoh and everything. And um, and we use that language. And sometimes 
Um, and it's good language, but one of the things that we miss in the translations is, um, and this is why I was back to forgiveness as a choice, the language that we used, because to have a hard heart doesn't necessarily mean you're mean. Because mm. for the Hebrews, the heart was actually the center of their volition, their will, and their thinking. So in a sense, another word to say like Pharaoh had a hard heart was he was just incredibly resolute and stubborn, mm. right? And so part of softening our heart is just recognizing I could make a, a choice to do something different. And then I just got to wait for the rest of my inner life to catch up with that choice. And I think that can let people give people some peace with themselves. And this gets back to even self-forgiveness. She's like, geez, I can't forgive. Well, yeah. If, if you're talking about getting your whole feelings all at once, then yeah, that's, yeah, nobody can, who can, right. But I can choose, I'm going to do this 1% move. I'm going to open myself up to forgive and then just be patient and let things um, – and then let, again, your heart, your will slowly can open up a little bit more to a different possibility. I love that. I appreciate that, Brian. That's a beautiful spot to wrap it up. Would you mind sharing with the listeners a little bit about you know your podcast, your work in the world, and how they might connect with you? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, I have a podcast. It's called Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations, and and what I try to do is, um, again, I, I come at it from a, a as a person, as a Christian. I'm a Protestant, and uh, try to have conversations with mostly folks that are Christians, but they're not exclusively uh, a Christian persons about issues of of deep spirituality, spiritual formation. And I also try to sometimes throw in some things about about leadership and then what I would also even call missional uh, living, which is to try to extend God's love to others. And so I have I love that. It's kind of a passion project. And then um, if people want to find a little bit more about me, I would say check out my website, um, brianrussellphd.com. There's links to the podcast. You can find all the links to my social media. And I have some information about the the coaching that I do with um, with pastors and what I would call spiritually minded entrepreneurs. Well, I love it. And we'll link everything in the show notes, so uh, please check it out. Dr. Brian Russell, thank you so much for coming on In Search of Wisdom again. Oh, it's so great to speak with you, Josh, and uh, thanks, everybody, for, uh, for listening. Thank you so much for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to The Path. It's our free weekly newsletter. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life right to your inbox. And lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice. Until next time, be wise and be well.